This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast, Season 7, Episode 20. Happy New Year, everybody. I'm John DiCarlo. We got a full house today. Kyle Gauss, Sam Cohn, Javon Edmonds, Dante Colonelli. Happy New Year, you guys. What's going on? Happy New Year, John. What'd you do for New Year's? Uh, we ordered takeout or and a better, stayed home. This is a better question. This is a better question. How was your holiday? Because the last time we were on this podcast, we spent a good 45 minutes talking about holiday, talking about Christmas. It was it was good. It was good. Uh, I got to see my parents. Uh, you wrote a great pre- piece for the Inquirer. Thank you very much. A tear-jerking piece. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, grateful that my dad's still around. and grateful that our dog Sam is still around. So, uh, yeah, just spent some time here. Like Spent some time at my parents' place. They were able to come out here, watch some Christmas movies, and ate a lot. Saw my brother and sister-in-law and my nephew. So it was... Uh, it was good. What have you guys? What have you guys been up to? All right, enough holiday banter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's no. a shot. At, that's a shot at me because I have in our in our script <laughs> under the intro. I actually typed out a holiday banter, and everybody had a good time with that before we started recording. And oh, these uh, are good. Yeah, yeah. New Year's, I I, I might be asleep by nine thirty on New Year's. Just no desire to do it. I did find out that apparently when you're on the West Coast, I always assumed that they were just watching like the live New Year's. No, West Coast teams or West Coast teams, West Coast channels will just delay until like 9 p.m. So they'll air it at 9 p.m. as if it's like, oh, this is 9 p.m. It's the ball's dropping. The ball's already dropped. No way. Why? I didn't know that. You know what I've realized is that uh, New Year's Rock and Eve has become the primary space for celebrities to be intoxicated on television mm-hmm. like it's well, just they're, it's just they're just cool with it isn't they're that just, like all kind of, anderson cooper does he just gets like blackout drunk on like new year's eve and they're like oh, look at him nice hair yeah down. they love it they absolutely <laughs> love it we have we have a, a member of the al scoop squad in the covid protocol right now He's and he lives he lives in a city that that starts with a b and ends with an e and he's very disappointed about his, his fantasy team. But Javon Edmonds is toughing through it. If you could see him right now, he's drinking tea. Yes. You know, um, you know, in the wise words of somebody we all once knew, you know, very disappointed with the outcome. Uh, <laughs> we'll certainly correct that in practice this week. And, uh, you know, just move on, move forward from there. A ton of stuff to get into today. A ton of mailbag questions. Really appreciate that. And a lot, of course, to dive into with Stan Drayton staff, which is really starting to, to take shape here. Um, I thought we'd mix in, you know, a, a mailbag question to, to start things off here because it's pertinent to 95% of what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, and this first one is from Green Street Al. Again, these are coming from, from our alscoop.com message board uh, about new football staff. So this is a four-part question. And again, it covers a lot of what we'd be talking about. Give it an overall grade is number one. Who, who, what's the best hire, even though not all the hires are official yet? Number three, uh, who was most unexpected? And number four, can you do a brief preview of what we might expect uh, philosoph- philosophically on both sides of the ball? So 
Um, can we give this an overall? Can we give this an overall grade yet? I mean, like the you know the coordinators seem to be in place for the most part. We've got a hopefully got a um, hopefully got a story coming up. A couple of stories coming up from Dante. We'll talk about that when we get into things philosophically on both sides of the ball. But I'll go around the horn here. What, what do we think so far? Of the staff, you know, I, I think Everett Withers getting him as your chief of staff is is pretty interesting. Kyle talked about the fact that, you know, he might have been a name that you thought might be in the mix for for defensive coordinator, right? So, yeah, I think, I think it's. I, I'm sorry, I'll just segue off of that real quick. I mean, I think I, I think I literally texted you back in like December yeah. saying I thought he was going to be a defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the fact that you got somebody who was an FBS head coach not that long ago. Um, was a defensive coordinator three months ago, was in the NFL 15 months ago, whatever it might be, that he's just your chief of staff now is interesting. Um, I don't know if that's a result. People are hypothesizing, oh, Temple must really be opening up the uh, the wallet for this, or it might just be a situation where Everett Withers was looking for a landing spot for a year and figured he would go with somebody he trusted. But that's, that's an interesting name to me at this point. But we, do we want to talk about just overall feelings on the, the staff? Yeah, I mean, I again, we know that there might there are two there are two spots that still need to be filled, right? Maybe a cornerbacks right. coach, whatever they do with that. I would spot. assume definitely a cornerbacks coach because yeah. Ola Adams, um, who is the defensive coordinator of Villanova, is being reported that he's going to be the co-DC, which everyone assumes. I mean, there's going to be another co-DC. No, it's usually just a title they kind of give them to get more money and more responsibility. But they introduced him as safeties coach and not defensive backs coach which would lead me to believe that there will be a cornerback corners back coach. Like there has been a temple for the past couple of years. Yeah. I mean, uh, we can, we, Oh, go ahead, Kyle. Yeah. I mean, I, I think to kind of go to your point of when they asked, well, how would you grade this? I mean, I like as a professor, professor, John, if I asked for a grade and 20% of my assignments weren't in yet, I think, you know, it's, it's incomplete, right. <laughs> Especially with, with corners backs coach, like cornerbacks coach is arguably like historically it's, you need a recruiter there. You need a recruiter at the running backs position, you need a recruiter at the cornerbacks position. So I think the one thing my takeaway from this class, or not this class, this coaching staff so far, is that I think they're everybody's a good recruiter at this point. I'm not sure if they have a dynamic, dynamic recruiter yet. Um, I think Preston Brown could be that uh, now that we actually get to see him on the field. But like I think I think you really need to get somebody with with high school connections that's proven it before that they can get kids to to Temple out of that quarterback spot. I mean, ideally, if you had infinite money, you would throw seven figures at Fran Brown and say, come back and be cornerbacks coach, but that's not going to happen. So they need to find somebody with historically, I mean, Corey Robinson, when Jeff Collins got him, was a good recruiter, came from Toledo. Uh, Melvin Rice was a pretty solid recruiter out in Chicago at cornerbacks. They need to bring another level of recruiting to this staff, I think, would be my biggest criticism. Do you think, and again, they haven't, unless we've missed something, at least publicly, they have not named a recruiting coordinator yet. Do you think, I mean, do you think Chris Wiesahan fits that role? Do you think he becomes the O-line coach and the recruiting coordinator because of his body of work at Temple previously? Yeah, and I, mean, I think so. I mean, I think he understands what it takes to, to win at Temple and how to get kids at Temple. And has Chris Wiesahan has, uh, has when he was here before, and even down Georgia Tech, has a good relationship with a lot of the suburban coaches. I mean, he was just two weeks ago recruiting a Syracuse transfer that was based out of Doylestown um, to commit to Georgia Tech. So, I mean, he's, he's kind of, no, you told me downtown it was Doylestown. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, because the kid committed to Georgia Tech and is there now. Um, so, like, he has a connection with there. I mean, I think it's either going to be him or Preston Brown, I think, unless yeah. somebody completely comes out of left field for one mm-hmm. of these last two spots. Because Preston Brown, 
pretty much has a relationship with every high school coach in South Jersey, which obviously is an important part to Temple. So I, th- I would think it's one of those two. It, kind of spitballing. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if Thad Ward could also do that job because, I mean, he's been here for four years now. He's, he's always recruited like Virginia, D.C., that area for Temple. So I think one of those three is probably through Concord. I also don't think it's like a massive deal who has that title. Right. Everyone kind of just gets their own areas and you recruit from there. So are we saying that grade-wise, if we were to go around the horn here, that, that we'd have to give it an incomplete because it's not not finished yet? Around the horn, I will give an incomplete. If I was forced to grade it, I think it's a a B right now. Those last two hires are really important to me. I think the Chris Wiesenham thing is a phenomenal hire. The fact that they managed yeah. to get him, regardless of the circumstances, whether or not that was him looking for a life fest from Georgia Tech or what, is that added a lot of credibility. Within 36 hours, they added Preston Brown and Chris Wiesenham to the staff, which pretty much silenced like any criticisms that were not local staff and are they going to do things the right way because those two were – pretty much was on everybody's like rosturbation coaching staff where they were like, how can I put together a coaching staff? Those two would have been on it. Mm-hmm. Dante, Javon. I, I, I think, go ahead, Javon. Dante. <laughs> All right. Um, I'll take cute. it, I guess. Yeah, it was cute. It was really cute. I, I'm with Kyle. I think this is an incomplete. Um, I, you know, I was kind of thinking about the staff. I, I think that they have a good mix of like local ties and experience, right? You look at the two presumptive primary coordinators in DJ Elliott um, and Danny Langsdorf. I, I think those two guys have a lot of power five experience. Um, you know, they've had some levels of success at different programs. I think if you are Stan Drayton, a first time head coach, you like that and you're two play, you know, presumptive primary play callers. And then you look at the rest of the staff. I think, you know, Ola Adams has some, you know, uh, local ties at the DC of Villanova. You know, you look at Chris Wiesahan, you bring back Preston Brown. Thad Ward is also coming back. Like Kyle said, he's been recruiting here. So I think it's a good balance of experience and local ties. Um, I think my biggest concern is, is less on the recruiting front and more about like, cohesion uh this is a group of people who have roughly never worked together in their lives uh (laughs) when it comes down to it stan drayton has no experience with any of these people um and because we've been covering this coaching surf search sorry for the better part of a month or so uh, i've listened to a lot of coaches talk on youtube and give interviews trying to you know do research for different articles and stuff uh cohesion comes up a lot especially with play callers and um, you know, DC's talking about the, you know, their relationship with defensive backs coaches and linebacker coaches and, you know, that stuff. So that stuff comes up a lot. That would be my biggest concern off the top. Um, but I think if you're looking at it generally, I think you have a good mix of local ties and a good mix of experience, which you need for a first time head coach. But like Kyle said, right, that last spot is, is important as a cornerbacks coach, right? You need to get somebody in there as a dynamic recruiter, as somebody who does scouting, um, cornerbacks are interesting people typically right so it helps to have that type of coach um bringing up that position group and recruiting this area yeah i think the cohesion part is really what i'm concerned with i mean we've all been the new guy at a job before you know and it's like when it's you and 15 other new guys it can go one or two ways either okay we're all cool because we're the new guys or we're all out trying to get our own and then it's just not a good, you know, working unit. So that's one concern, but on the, you know, guys, they brought back the Thad Wards and the Preston Browns. I was kind of shocked and a little worried about the status of Gabe Infante. I thought, you know, that was a guy since November when we pretty much knew, you know, Rod Carey wasn't going to be on Temple for much longer. 
I'm saying the next coach needs to move Gabe back to, you know, linebackers coach and keep him around as a, you know, a recruiter because he just has so much ties in the city of Philadelphia for recruiting. And with him being all staff, that's probably the only decision that I can say I, you know, effectively disagree with. But other than that, I mean, I'm with Kyle. Finish out the staff and then I'll have a full grade for you because, I mean, yeah, like you said, John, if I handed you some work that was 80% done, I mean, I'm not going to like the response I get from you for my final grade. So they finish that out. Then I'll have more of a uh, uh, complete idea of how I feel about the staff as a whole. So what we're saying is that Stan Drayton needs an extension. Yeah, it sounds like, did he apply for one yet? It's the real question. Uh, sources close to the situation tell me that he has. Okay, so. there we go. There. I will say people are, and Sam, I didn't mean to cut you off if you're going to start. I will say the one thing that kind of sticks out to me is there's a bunch of like good regional recruiters on the staff. Yeah. I've yet to see like a true, like this guy recruits Philly really well. Like Chris Weasenhands recruited Philly, but not full, full time. Ola Adams recruits Philly, but it's like an FCS level. It'll be interesting to see if they can bring somebody in that's really like, nope, this kid, this guy's coming to Philly before and brought dudes out. Mm-hmm. You guys have done a tremendous job of just like not answering any of these questions. <laughs> I thought the first question was a grade. First one was just that? about the grade. Yeah. Oh, we're just sticking with grade. Okay, yeah. so I, I well, no I'll, start I'll start by saying I I appreciate any question we get, but when I get these five tier questions, I'm like I'm just gonna I'm gonna spitball here. Like I'm not gonna go line by line with these. It's usually just like I get the general gist. Sure. We'll talk about your topic. <laughs> so. I would uh, I would agree sort of with Kyle about like the B B plus range. Uh, I mean, kind of everything I was going to say about the fact that Drayton hasn't worked with any of these guys. None of them have really worked together is probably the biggest concern. Um, yes, there's still picks to be made on filling out the rest of the staff. But I mean, most of what I was going to say has kind of already been said that around that B B plus range. I think there's a lot to be if you're a temple, there's a lot to be excited about, like within the staff. It's now it's the product on the field. And I would agree with the whole, you know, Weez seems to Weez is the only rule guy. Um, I would have expected maybe one or two more from former Temple or like at least one other former Temple or from that era, maybe. But you have someone from that past Temple era, you're bringing it, you're bringing Preston Brown an on field role, a guy that recruits well. So I think there's a lot of good minds in the building. The question is, how well do they work together and the product they put on the field? As somebody that got degrees with B minuses, that a B minus is not a slight. Okay, it's a passing grade. Mm, so stand and you've passed so far. I'll, I'll uh, for whatever it's worth, I'll give them, uh, I'll give them a B so far. Uh, what's the best hire? I think it's Chris Weezyhan. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I think that was just like a. If I'm Chris Weezyhan, for everything we've been hearing, Chris Weezyhan's been trying to come back for a while, just in a, a number of different roles. I think it was. Uh, from what you've kind of heard from whispers through the down the lane, it was, just seemed like he wanted to get back to Philadelphia. The fact that they took an a, a ACC position coach and were able to come up with enough money, it sounds like he's getting a raise from this to bring him back as a position coach to an AAC school was impressive. And it, it doesn't hurt that he's a hell of a coach who's produced a lot of NFL linemen. Yeah. Anybody else have thoughts on best hire? Uh, I think it was. Think- Go ahead, Javon. I think Weeze is going to be the consensus, but I think Ola Adams deserves some consideration here too. Uh, like I get it, Villanova's FCS level, but they're always a top 15, top 10 team in the FCS. So my thought process is if he could recruit Philly to the point that he had Nova 
you know, at that type of tier and that type of status, now he gets to go expand his horizons and recruit FBS talent. And I, I think that's something that you can't, you know, you can't overlook. Like now he's got more of a, I, I guess, a better crop of talent to choose from. And now he can just point to, hey, look what I did with Villanova. Now you're coming to Temple with, you know, more resources put into his football program than Villanova has. And you can really turn this thing into something special. So I think Ola Adams, if he's not 1B, he's a close second. Mm -hmm. Sam? I was just going to say if Weeds is 1A, then Preston Brown, I would say, is probably 1B. But, yeah. Dante? I don't really have anything to add. You guys, you guys took my stuff. You know, I, uh, I don't have anything to add there. I was going to say Ola Adams as well. I think, um, yeah, again, as a guy who does scouting, uh, one of the few FCS teams that I find myself watching every year is Villanova. Typically, they have a couple of fringe pros every year, so it'll be good to see him get that bump to the FBS. Yeah, I've, I mean, I've, I've never met the guy, but a couple of people I've talked to have said he's really, really impressive, really motivated, um, a, a guy that really um, – you know, just nonstop learner about the game. He was part, he's been part of the NFL's minority internship program. He's, but he spent time with the Niners in 2014, the bears and in, in 2013, and was part of their coaching Academy in 2013. And um, I, I agree with Javon. I'd like to see, you know, if he was able to, to produce a lot of top 10 defenses at Villanova and get some fringe pros to Villanova, the, the question is, okay, what can he do with, with Temple at his back? I mean, Temple's not, you know, Alabama by any means, but um I thought that was a good local hire for them. And I'd have to go with Weezahan too. I think it was critically important for him to get somebody from, you know, whatever you'd want to say, the Matt Rule era or the Al Golden era. And, and Weez is just one of those guys who really caught the bug when he came to Temple. I mean, he's got a, a ridiculously varied resume and that he's, you know, he's been all over the place. He's been with, you know, he spent some time in the NFL with the Bucks. I mean, he's been at Purdue. He's been at Notre Dame. He's been at Buffalo. He was, at JMU, he's with Syracuse, UCLA, uh, Hawaii, all over the place. And and anybody listening to this podcast, if they're even just uh, a shred of a Temple fan, they know that he had a, a, a you know a lot to do with 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 Temple's success during uh, during Matt Rule's time here, and and uh, and Jeff Collins as well. It's obviously one of the reasons why Jeff brought him down to Georgia Tech. So uh, and that offensive line, you know, as much as any position, and surely every position on that roster needs help, but Boy, do they need help there. I mean, at that, you know, we've talked before about, you know, what do they have in Sam Davis? What do they have in Bryce Toman? What do they have in Wisdom Korshi? What do they have in Jim Tuobadegu? I'll, I'll be interested to, to talk to Weeze once he's looked at film and, and just ask him, like, what do you think of what you have? What do you think of where you have to plug in the holes? Because I think that could, you know, it's not really rocket science to say, but based off of what he thinks he has there and what he can develop, that does that does that make this a three-year rebuild, a two-year rebuild? I think that was a, a position where you really needed somebody. And I think that was a, a home run hire for him there. Uh, who was the most unexpected? Anybody? I did not expect either primary play caller, uh, mm -hmm. presumptively. I did not expect to hear uh, DJ Elliott or Danny Langsdorf. Those were two names that came uh, completely out of left field. I think I, I talked to it, at least for me, I, I talked to it uh, about it earlier. It's just that I think, Stan really wanted experienced play callers, guys who have been around the block. Um, there's nothing 
particularly um, exceptional about DJ Elliott's resume as a defensive coordinator. I think, you know, Danny Langsdorf has coached some NFL quarterbacks. I think that's encouraging. He's worked with Eli Manning in the NFL. So he's got some things on his resume. It's like, okay, you know, it makes sense that this would be a, you know, an interesting OC hire. So those two names for me were both came out of left field and uh, I've really had to, to do a lot of research on them because I was just not expecting him to be the hires at Temple of all places. I'll echo that. I, I, I thought if you'd asked me a week ago, I thought the offensive coordinator was, um, I thought it was, uh, I had my eyes on a guy who's currently a position coach in the NFL. So like I was, Danny Langsdorf was nowhere on my resume. And then, like I said earlier, the fact that they were able to get Everett Withers on off the field role is uh, surprising to me. Javon, Sam, any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I was going to say Langsdorf too. That one, that felt like an out of, out of the blue name, but I would agree with Dante that you could throw DJ Elliott in that too. Yeah, you can just put quotations around what Dante said and copy and paste it to me. Javon <laughs> is plagiarizing, plagiarizing Dante's answer. Um, yeah, I would agree. I, di- I didn't have a really good read either way on on uh, who the coordinators were going to be. I think it does show that. Uh, I mean, Langsdorf, as as Dante said, has put you know he's worked with a lot of future pros. Elliot's intriguing. We'll get into that a little bit uh, later in this next part of um, uh, the question here in this four part. Uh, detailed question here and we won't have Dante give away the whole store here but he did a, a great story on both coordinators and what you can what you guys can expect from them uh in terms of philosophy but I guess both of them were a surprise but I can't say that I had like five guys lined up in my head and saying if it's not going to be this guy it's going to be that guy but um yeah that fourth and final part here can you do a brief preview of what we might expect philosophically on both sides of the ball Dante I'll start with you on this you've you've x node this pretty well um if we were starting with Langsdorf again, just looking at his body of work, which is pretty impressive. Um, what would you expect knowing that again, we have to cover spring ball and he has to assess his personnel and all that stuff. Uh, just a gut reaction. What would you expect philosophically? We'll start with offense and then look at the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. The offense a little bit harder to get a grasp on Langsdorf hasn't been a primary play caller since 2017. Uh, he's kind of bounced around as a quarterback's coach. So I didn't want to hold him too accountable to the schemes and production of the offenses that he wasn't calling plays for. Um, so I use mostly numbers and the very limited film that I could find of his, you know, eight year run with Oregon state. And then his, uh, I think a three-year run with Nebraska off the top of my head. So, um, you know, looking at that, I think what, uh, the best way I would describe in the way I describe it in the article without giving away the entire thing is I think you're going to see a blend of a pro style and spread offense. You're going to see pro style concepts, Um, The quarterback might take snaps from under center at Temple, which haven't seen that in a while. You might see that. I don't know how much that actually matters. Might be something that you see. Uh, It's a single back offense. You're not going to see two backs on the field at the same time at all. I know Temple tinkered with that a little bit. I'd be surprised if we see that from Langsdorf. Um, and then, you know, the spread concepts, this is still going to be a team that's going to try and stretch teams horizontally. So don't expect the bubble screens, you know, the wide receiver screens on the perimeter, the quick outs, uh, you know, those very, very standard spread concepts are not going to be going anywhere. It's kind of a blend of those two. But if you listen to him talk and really the, the way I wrote the article is just listening to him talk in, in different interviews that he's given and reading some of the things that he said over the years. Uh, he seems like a very adaptable coach. You go back to Oregon state. Uh, he had Sean Manny in there for a long time at quarterback. Um, he ended up being their all-time passing leader. He adapted the offense. They threw the ball, you know, close to 60% of the time in the mid two thousands when that was a little bit, you know, taboo for some of those teams to do that. Obviously they did that in the PAC 12 because the PAC 12 is nuts, but you know, he was kind of the guy who really pioneered that them in Washington state and Mike Leach and those guys 
size. So, um, you know, and then you go to his Nebraska uh, tendencies. It's a lot of running the football, playing to that team's strength. They had a couple good backs there when he was there, shaky quarterback play. Um, so, again, I don't want to give everything away, but that's what I would expect from the offensive side of the ball. Again, just looking at the numbers, reading tea leaves from – five years ago uh, he has not been a play caller in a good amount of time but I think generally right the best way to describe it is it's it's a blend of pro style and spread concepts and that's kind of you know a little bit different from what we saw from the last staff and it's not just going to be you know spread them and shred them the entire time unless he completely goes away from what he's done in the past yeah and again we'll, we'll encourage you all the sorry Kyle just real quick we'll encourage you all to check out the uh the stories that we'll have up on the site from Dante about you know what you can expect uh from those guys and um Again, schematically, what you know, Dante did a deep dive into into both guys. Kyle, go ahead. I'm sorry to mean to cut you off. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, normally when you hire an offensive coordinator, you're kind of grasping. Like when they hired David Patton, you were like, okay, well, let me look at FCS stats and all this. And at North at Northern, I mean, Mike Gurevich was kind of trailing off there beforehand. Langsdorf's produced some dudes in the past. Like Brandon Cooks played for him. Amir Abdullah played for him. Like there there's some some names that have come out of his system that have made a lot of money in the NFL. And then, um, and then Dante, when we look at, when we look at DJ Elliott, um, the thing that the, and you did a good job of explaining this in, in, uh, in your story is like the simulated blitz, simulated blitzes, excuse me, the simulated pressures. And you did a great job of explaining that. Um, again, when you look, when you look back at him, um, sometimes the numbers don't always look, look great uh, in some occasions, but the, you know, the scheme looks intriguing and uh, you, know, you really equated it again, without giving away the whole story, uh, uh, to some of the stuff that Temple's done in the past. What, what, what do you think of, you know, when you, when you think of him, again, the, the, the announcement uh, on him hasn't been made official, but it's been reported in multiple places. What would, you know, if Temple does ultimately have Elliott in that position, what would you expect philosophically on that side of the ball? Yeah, I think, again, you have to really look past the numbers with Elliott. Um, you just kind of have to accept the fact that Kansas is not going to be competing in the Big 12. Um, you know, they had a little bit of a better run this year, but not a good football team. So you have a lot of personnel deficiencies there. So looking at his scheme, again, you talked on, on the simulated pressures, I, just generally speaking, a simulated pressure is you show that you're going to send extra players, right? So those are linebackers, safeties. Um, and then the, the big difference, right? That's a normal blitz. The big difference with a simulated pressure is that you would drop a defensive lineman into coverage uh, and you would actually end up dropping seven into coverage and still only rushing four. And you would have a defensive lineman replace a linebacker or a safety at the second level. That's the, the simplest way to explain it. Um, you know, I, I have a video example in the article whenever he gets announced. I'm very excited to drop that. It'll be cool. So it'll be much easier to kind of see it and then read it. Uh, but that's the easiest way to do it. They did it a lot at Kansas. Um, it's not like this completely new idea. It is overtaking the NFL. Um, you know, the Carolina Panthers are killing people with it right now. Phil Snow uses it. Uh, Mike Zimmer, guy who's been around forever, is kind of the grandfather of that uh, system. He did it at Dallas. Uh, he's done it at Minnesota to varying levels of success for years. Um, that's kind of the guy who really got it going. So DJ Elliott uses that. Um, you're going to see a position similar to the Bubo as well. They don't call it that, but they do kind of have an overhang linebacker, assuming he keeps the same scheme that he had at Kansas. Uh, that player is more of a primary coverage player with secondary pass rush responsibility. And then you have a stand-up edge rusher who's kind of the opposite. He's a, he's a primary pass rush player with some coverage responsibility. So uh, looking back into Elliott, he's a linebacker's coach. He's produced some NFL caliber linebackers in the past. 
defense runs through the linebackers. All those guys need to be really good at pass coverage. All those guys need to be uh, able to rush the passer and stop the run. Um, They are going to make the defense go. And I think if you're a Temple fan, you look at the linebackers that you have, I think you probably consider that to be one of the strongest position groups on this team. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, So um, yeah, I think that's an advantage that they can lean into. Again, I don't want to spoil some of the stuff that he does with coverages and different pressures and whatnot that I covered in the story, but that's the the gist of the simulated blitz. And again, the numbers from Kansas are not going to look pretty, but I think, you know, this is a modern approach to defense at the end of the day. And that's kind of what I concluded going through it. So um, a name out of left field, but, It'll be interesting to see what they've got. I think it meshes nicely with the strengths of the team. So I, I think that's about as good as a start as you can get without playing any ball. Sam, Javon, anything you want to add on this? I think the only thing I would add, uh, you know, everyone knows professionally I'm a Ravens fan. and Wink Martindale loves the simulated pressures. So I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly of it. The only thing I would say is falling in love with that scheme can become a little dangerous if you don't have the players that mm. fit it, like you can find yourself taking a dominant edge rusher out of his best position to succeed uh, by dropping them out in coverage, because that's what your scheme calls for. And, you know, saw Matt Judon leave the Ravens for the Patriots for that very reason. And I'm, you know, college route, it's completely different, but, and, and there's not really any gifted and super talented edge rushers on the temple roster right now but you know down the line if they get one of those guys that'd be the only thing i look out for is if he's taking that guy out of the best position for him to succeed and dropping him back into coverage because that's what his scheme calls for instead of going off of you know what the player does best the last comment actually i think is really interesting i think you've seen the good and the bad of that temple You saw 2016, Phil Snow won a conference championship because they dropped Hassan Reddick a lot of times into coverage. But Hassan Reddick is also a once-in-a-generation athletic freak. You saw the bad part of that when if, see 12 years ago when Adrian thing. Robinson, yep. uh, his last year under Golden, they tried dropping him into coverage a lot. He's out of place. Next year, Steve Adazio comes in for all of his slights, all of his flaws, just says, why would we take our best pass rusher and not have him pass rush? Yep. And then he goes and wins the Mid-American Defense Player of the Year award, I believe. Yeah. 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 Had a brief stay in the NFL and, of course, uh, uh, passed away several years ago. But, um, yeah, some interesting stuff. And, again, this is why once these guys get introduced and then you cover spring ball, it's really fun to ask them about this stuff. And then you kind of find out where they're starting to fall in on, like, yeah, I like some parts of my scheme, but, you know, I'm going to try to blend it around what we have here so far, but I think that's an interesting point is that, you know, I'm not saying that the linebackers at Temple has are, you know, five or six all league guys, but I think we can agree with all the struggles they had uh, last season. And certainly this season, you do, you know, see some, see some bright spots there so far. um, I mean, we've covered most of, most of the staff and, We'll talk about him a little bit later, but, you know, a couple of names that we didn't mention. I mean, we talked a little bit about Preston Brown. Again, he's going to be remaining. Again, it hasn't been officially announced yet, but we broke the news that he's going to be back on the field as running backs coach. Um, uh, Tori Tackle is their director of football operations. She had actually come in from, she had spent some time previously at Texas. So Stan knows her from there. Adam Shire, uh, interesting hire there. The tight ends, the special teams coach out of Rutgers. Kyle, you had heard, I don't know if it had been reported or you'd heard that he was maybe going to get moved off the field but Rutgers yeah. special teams units were playing you know pretty well right. I mean this this is gonna sound almost like I'm defending Rod carry I'm most certainly not but like 
Greg Shiano is essentially coming to the same conclusion that Rod Carey came in two, three years ago, which is in today's college football, when you're allowed 10 coaches on the field, a lot of programs are realizing like, I can't waste this one of these spots entirely on a special teams coordinator. Like you can do that from off the field and I can get a recruiter out there that can recruit. So I, from what I'm hearing, I think Shiano was planning on going that route for pushing him off the field and then filling that 10 spot with another position coach. Uh, unfortunately though, they already have a tight ends coach in Nunzio Campanale. So it was not possible at, um, at Rutgers, but at Temple, he can stay on the field because he can also coach tight ends. Yeah. Um, any other, any other, you know, staff names here again, that, that, that jump out any, any, you know, stuff that, that, that you guys wanted to add or any thoughts on, again, I should, should mention that Chris Fenelon is that, uh, going to be the strength coach was the assistant strength coach at Ohio state. That's a very important hire, but where, you know, where the truth lies on a lot of the, um, Iverson Clement stuff and some of the stuff that, that he alleged, uh, against Brad or, um, even apart from that. You could look at the at the performance of the team. Granted, it happened during COVID. They go one and six last year, and then uh, and then three and nine this season. And you know the line didn't perform well. You know, I, I think I don't know. Had Rod Carey stuck around in any scenario, I think you could have looked at things and said maybe they they need new strength coaching here. So it's obviously a very important hire. You know, comes in with a pretty good resume. A younger guy. Um, you know, graduated and uh, I forget where he played played uh, and graduated in 2013 from, I forget where, but uh, has played the game and was the assistant strength coach at Ohio state. So um, it's Stony Brook, Stony Brook. That's right. So he's a, he's a Mickey Mirati guy. Who's kind of like the Ohio state, like legendary yep. has survived however many coaching changes strength. Yeah. Yeah. So not a bad, you know, lineage to, uh, to have there. Uh, again, we'll, we'll keep you updated on um, any of those two remaining spots, whether that, where that, that 10th job goes, um, we'll see. It will be interesting to see if, you know, if it is a cornerbacks coach where that, you know, um, where Stan Drayton will reach out to on that. Uh, we've got a ton of mailbag questions here. A lot of, a lot of basketball stuff as well. And some, and some football stuff. Uh, we could start, you know, with, we could go basketball here, we could go football, but we've got a, a very, very full mailbag having been off for, uh, for two weeks. So really appreciate you guys getting in as many questions as possible. We'll start with We'll start with some of the, the basketball stuff. Again, these are questions from our alscoop.com subscribers. Appreciate the, uh, the questions. Uh, first one here comes from Diamond and Broad. Uh, and the question is, for whatever reason, the basketball program lacks juice and has lacked juice for at least the past six to eight years. Is it too soon to start to question if Aaron McKee can get it done? I know COVID and other factors have definitely hurt but there does not seem to be significant improvement. Also would love for you to talk about why each of you think McKee and the program have struggled and how they can turn it around. Thanks as always. Hope everyone had a great holiday. Sam, what do you think? I think that we also think that Diamond and Broad had a great holiday. Um, <laughs> but to, to answer the question, I mean, to the second part of the question, I think is more is the one I think we should spend more time on. Like it, you can only give so much weight to like, the the lack of practice time and COVID really hit Temple pretty hard, um, and you, I don't want to give too much weight to injuries because like every college program, every you know program in the country has to deal with something like that. But it's been a real tough spot for Temple. A lot of their offense relies on um, misdirection actions, creating, uh, drawing attention and then like skip passes as, uh, Aaron McKeoy says playing inside out, like he wants to make defenses collapse and then find open guys. 
they have guys on the floor that they've had guys that can shoot and they've had guys that really can't shoot. Like Jaleel White is very frequently wide open in the in the corner, which is the spot that they want when they attack the middle. They want to find the guy open in the corner of the wing, but Jaleel White's not that guy. He's been a great defender for them. He can his offensive game in terms of like attacking the rim is uh, improved, but that's a big part of their offense is to to draw attention to find open guys. So having lost Caleb Battle having dealt with Ty Strickland being in and out. Um, I mean, having Dame done out for half the season last year, like they're dealing with primary scorers being out, having to adjust. So you're throwing more guys into the fire. Last year it was Jeremiah Williams getting thrown into the fire. Caleb Battles getting thrown into the fire. These are new guys to the program. Now Zach Hicks is in a similar spot where he's seeing increased minutes as, as a true freshman and high seer Miller also getting thrown into the fire. So again, I don't want to give too much weight to, the injuries, but like that's really hurt them is that they don't have they rely so heavily on guard play. And it's been almost a revolving door the last two years when Jeremiah Williams is the only player to uh, to play in every single game. Let me ask you this question. I want to I want to throw this out to you and, and to Javon as well. You mentioned that Aaron says I want to play. Uh, we've talked about this offline, too. I think there are a couple of things that for whatever it's worth are going to start to wear a little bit. You know, after that UCF game, Aaron said, you know, we're and again, I'm paraphrasing here. Well, um, you know, we got to get older. I'm playing with some babies out there. And he talked about the portal. Well, he has access to the same portal that everybody else has access to. And that portal has netted him Emmanuel Akpoma, who, as I understand, it, has a neck injury. I don't know when he's going to be back. So, you know, we knew that him coming in from from Wake, he was raw defenses ahead of his offense type of guy, limited body of work on him. And he has been out. He talks about the portal, and there I think there's there's a mailbag question in here later on. We can dive more into this. For you, you're not getting much out of Sage Tolbert. He's coming off the bench now. Not to say that him being relegated to the bench means he's terrible, but you know it's it says something about his performance. But Aaron keeps talking about I need to play inside out. They can't play inside out right now. Jake is Jake Forrester has not shown us that he's gotten any better as a passer. And um, so I wanted to ask you about that. When he talks about playing inside out, uh, what can you do when you're not, you know, Jake hasn't gotten any better in, in terms of passing out of double teams. And uh, he just doesn't seem to, to have that awareness and it's, and it's not clicking. So what, it, what do you think of when you hear him say, we want to play inside out? And do you want to say to him, I, I don't know if you have a personnel to do it right now. Yeah. So, we, I mean, we've talked about this before. The way to play inside out is to get paint touches, whether that's putting the ball, getting the ball inside right. and you need a big man that the defense is willing to bring a second defender and then right. kick back out. Or you want a guy who can dribble drive, draw that kind of attention and then kick back out. And a lot of their offense is predicated on getting their primary scorers in open spots. And then if defenses kind of collapse or if guys rotate, then you can kind of find open guys off that. And I think a lot of Temple's most successful basketball has been when their second, third, or fourth scoring option is the one that's really producing. Uh, they were going to like Caleb Battle wasn't going to drop 20 a game. He had four against Clemson. Like there were going to be nights where he couldn't do that. When he couldn't do that, Damian Dunn had to be that guy. And then, you know, look at Delaware State. Zach Hicks hit 10 threes. He was the one that really carried them. And Aaron McKee talks about making adjustments to the feel of the game. After the St. Joe's game, this is the this is the Aaron McKee quote that really sticks out to me so far this season. I asked him about um you know, when when they run that diamond set and Damian Dunn comes off uh, looking like on the wing and they deny the uh, the passing lane when they did when they when they front Damian Dunn and deny the passing lane, the offense kind of just fell apart. And this was one game uh, they've played 
13 games this season is one game, one instance. But when they deny the passing lane there, the offense kind of just falls apart. What happens then? And Aaron McKee said the problem is that and this happens. The problem is that when defenses take away their first option and sometimes their second option, they just kind of get spooked. And they don't really like the offense just falls apart. And that's the biggest thing they need to they need to learn and they need to grow. If this team, which he has called, a, you know, a, a group of babies, like he's, he's coaching bait, like a lot of young guys who haven't played a whole lot of basketball together. That's their biggest thing is they need to they need to be able to find ways for second, third, fourth, fifth options to be able to put the ball in the hoop. So when you don't have a guy like Jake in the middle of the floor, who can put the ball in the hoop. If, if Nick Jordan isn't necessarily like a post player, but he's a guy that can get you a couple of points, like you need other options when things aren't always going for your number one scoring option. Javon, to, to go off of this and just kind of stay in line with this question, I want to tweak it a little bit. What do you think of when you see, when you see, and maybe we'll save some stage Tolbert conversation for later on the mailbag, but what do you think is not clicking with, with, with Jake Forrester right now in terms of them, not just being able to play inside out, but just him, him being inconsistent is nothing that we haven't seen before. And we had Jimmy Fennerty on our podcast before, and he was pretty optimistic about him heading into the season. Um, and he's been, you know, he's been injured. He's had, you know, he's had an injury, but what, what do you think is not firing for, for him right now when you look at him play? Well, for Jake Forrest, there's a multitude of things. Number one, he's not the most coordinated guy in the world. You can't be a good post scorer if you're not coordinated. It's it it, it just it, it can't work. It's literally impossible. And then, you know, size-wise, he's not the strongest dude in the world either. Like he's got decent size shoulders, but he doesn't know how to use them to shield defenders off. He doesn't have the best touch in the world. Um, he's right-handed, but every time I see him attempt a hook, it seems like he's always using his left hand but he has no touch with his left. So it seems like defenders know, force him to his left hand, box him out, grab the rebound and you're gone. So he doesn't have touch. He's not coordinated. Uh, you know, he doesn't have any special footwork. Like have we seen Jake Forrester perform a post move other than a drop step this season? Like have we seen him do uh, up and under at all the simple things? And I can't remember seeing any. So it, you know, the post moves aren't there. The strength isn't there. Not the most coordinated guy. And he doesn't have any touch. Like he, he puts in effort on the defensive end. I'll give him that. But offensively, you know, for a team that wants to run an inside out system, you need a big man that's at least respectable. A big man that has at least a jump hook that can get you eight to 10 points a game. And Jake Forrester just doesn't have that. And the problem for Temple is there's no one else on the team that can provide that either. Sage Tolbert, maybe, but he, you look at his size, he's not a center. He's, I, I've said this before, he's got the lack of skill of a center, but he's the size of a small forward. Nick Jordan, way better when you can play him on the perimeter than play him down low. Arashma Parks, and, and this isn't even, you know, cracking a joke. The dude really has one and a half knees. Like, you look at him move, you can tell, what is it, his right knee that he wears the brace on or his left knee? Like, that thing is deteriorated so you know it, and then Emmanuel Pomo like I said I saw him in high school and he's at Oak Hill um hasn't developed much since then I know he's got the neck injury right now but when he comes back you know he hasn't played enough basketball to be able to stay in shape every time we see him come in the once every five or seven games that he does play he's gassed after five minutes uh he's not a guy with the most touch in the world either but at least he's got some athleticism to him where it's to the point where if he can set some solid screens, he can be a lob threat. 
on the pick and roll, but who else besides Jeremiah Williams do we trust to throw that wide pass at the rim? So there's just a multitude of factors for Temple where it's just at that five position, they just don't have what they need in order to run the system that they want to run. I think Aaron McKee is going to have to get out of his ways and, and kind of turn this Temple team into some modern basketball that stretches it out more. And, and I know this team, you don't want them jacking up threes because what are they, like low 30s, high 20s in percentage, you know, from beyond the arc. But this team, you have to consider maybe you do start Nick Jordan at the five and Zach Hicks, Jeremiah Williams, Damian Dunn, and you choose who else you want after that. Maybe it's Jalil White for some defensive purposes and some athleticism on the wing. But they just don't have what it takes to be a dominant inside team right now. I have uh, two things I want to jump in on. One, the thing about Sage and Nick is they're both like face-up fours. Like Sage's best basketball and he's, is when he's being aggressive on the glass. Uh, I think Kyle pointed out after two games, he played 50 minutes and didn't score a single basket. Um, like he's a face-up four and he had one of those, like a, he's had like two or three put-back dunks in a, like on top of someone and that's his best game is when he plays physical. Nick Jordan can be a good stretch for Javon, I'll be honest. I think it's unfair to say Jake has no touch. He's had we've seen him drop twenty too many times to say he has no touch around the rim. I'm not, not going to like hand is what I'm saying. The, the left hand, the touch isn't there. The right hand, when he can get to his right hand, Jake Forrester can score. But when he's, dropped, right he's dropped twenty points down, one time. Yeah, really? That, yeah, one time in his career. One time, yeah. But when he when that right hand gets shut down and he's forced to use his left, then you're seeing oof. You know the touch isn't really there. Sure. And I'm not going to defend him. I think he's a lot to grow. And like, as John has mentioned before, his development as an interior scorer is, is going to do, is going to do so much for them as like with the ability to play inside out. Um, But yeah, they don't have a a true five that can do that. Uh, But we, when he's been at, he missed the Houston game because of a non COVID related illness. Like their offense looked pretty solid with the lineup of Jeremiah Dame, Julia White, Nick Jordan and I think it was Sage maybe like when they played like that smaller ball lineup when small balls like six five to with six Arashma. eight yeah we talked about that a little bit with I mean we were talking about the other night even like I mean I'm not what we know that Rashma Parks has his limitations but he was not afraid to be physical which I thought was a little intriguing I'm not saying start Rashma Parks but I don't know I think they're they have some really really promising talented pieces, but they're a year or two away. They're a couple pieces away from being kind of like what what Aaron really envisions. Okay. I think like they have. Go ahead, Kyle. No, no, no. By all means, finish your statement. I I was just gonna kind of say the same thing about like that. Like they're they're a couple pieces away, and that comes through either the transfer portal, whether they're recruiting a bigger or whatever, because they have a pretty deep backcourt. I the back to the initial question where they said they don't think they've improved. I disagree. I think they're a better team this year than they were last year. They've gotten Without better. Scoring average has gone up. Scoring uh, points allowed has gone down. Damian Dunn is a significantly better player this year than he was last year. Last year he was shooting thirty percent. Now he's up to forty. He's getting better in every aspect. You're seeing the growth there that you like, and you can see some things that they've improved upon. They went from a bottom third offensive rebounding team to now they're like the number 29 team in the nation on offensive rebounds. So they focus on some things. It helps when you're rolling out Julia White, who's long and tall, and you start line up with things like that. But I think that they are a better team than they were last year. I don't think they're as good of a team this year as I thought they were going to be, but they're still an improved team. So you can, I still see steps. I still see progress. 
Um, you actually got a, a ton of basketball questions to, to get to for all the, the additions on the uh, football staff. Uh, so we'll try to rifle through these as quickly as we can. Park Al has the next question. Since Caleb Faddle's injury, this team has taken on the gritty, grinded out squad with no clear cut number one score persona with mixed results. Other than Don, who's most likely to step up and in, into that one number one score role by the end of this season? I mean, I would dis- I think Damian Dunn has become that primary scoring role, mm-hmm. uh, whether or not, you know, he's had nights where he's dropped as little as 10, I think, against UCF or tw- right. uh, 12. And he's had, you know, a night where he dropped 27 against Penn, but he's their primary go to scorer. The question is that now without Caleb Battle in the rotation, it's easier to game plan for only having a deal with Damian Dunn instead of both Caleb Battle and Damian Dunn and Jeremiah Williams on the floor. Um, but second scorer, I think that. Uh, Jeremiah is averaging high nine uh, per game. I think he's definitely a guy that is his scoring totals are going up. And Nick Jordan's probably my dark horse. Yeah, I agree with the. Go ahead, Joa. I'd agree with the Nick Jordan as a dark horse. I think you know we saw Zach Hicks with the 10 threes against Delaware State. Granted, is Delaware State, but you know you got to find ways to get the young guy more involved in the offense. This is the guy everyone in the building is saying he's got potential to be. You know the next upper upper echelon temple player got to start treating them like it. You got to start getting him his touches and creating more opportunities for him to grow into that. But I also look at a guy like Ty Strickland, who I look at Ty Strickland this season and his role. It feels like a 07, 08 Tony Parker role to me. And the standpoint and the standpoint of this, Sam, those Spurs No, it's teams, just a funny comparison. Yeah, and those Spurs teams, like, we knew Tony Parker could give you 20 and 12, and that's fine and dandy, but when the Spurs were at their best and most lethal was when that 20 and 12 got cut down to 25 and 7. Now, Ty Strickland doesn't start. He's not going to get anywhere close to the 20-something points, but I mean from the standpoint of if he can scale back from being a facilitator off the bench to being – go ahead and focus more on scoring because we saw him at the beginning of the season. Ty Strickland's shoulder is healthy and he he can operate from the mid-range like anyone else on that team. I think him, Damian Ty's, Ty's Dunn, great. He just hasn't played a lot. Yeah, he's, if he like can, he's just dealt with injuries. Yeah, if he can stay healthy and stay in the lineup and yeah. it's a lot of pick and roll and let him kill from 18 feet and then I think that's the next guy like who can be Dunn's number two. So if he can, when he's in the lineup and he's healthy, become less of a facilitator and more of a scorer, I'd put some of that responsibility on him. And of course, Ty didn't make the, did not make the trip uh, down to Orlando to play at UCF. He's been dealing with a, a back injury. That's kind of like a, a day-to-day situation. We'll see how that, how that goes. I think Jeremiah Williams is their steady Eddie. Uh, yeah. Very bad start to the season. He hit, what, one of his first 11 free throws. Since then, he's like an 11-point-a-game guy. Yeah. I think he's right at his ship, and he's mm-hmm. exactly what they need as number two or number three score. Yeah. It's uh, just about hitting open catch and shoot shots for Jay Will at this point because that's yeah. the that's the one shot where he's getting them, but they're not falling consistently. I think you could say that about most most Temple Owls. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's really a problem. Like as a D one basketball player, that's supposed to be the one thing you absolutely can do yep. is hit an open shot. Like that's what high school coaches preach the most, and that's kind of not the case right now for Temple, which is concerning to say the least. Uh, next couple of questions here, we'll kind of blend them together. So th- th- this John Rothstein thing uh, picked up a little bit of traction on, on social media and uh, 
I engaged with them. Kevin Gandhi engaged with them. Not that Ross Dean got back to me, not that I ever thought he would because he doesn't seem to. But anyway, here are the, the two uh, Ross Dean related questions that we got from our message board. One from this first one's from Temple J. It has been mentioned in this forum and by John Ross Dean that the men's basketball staff is of the opinion that Temple should move to the A10. Okay, that's just to cut in there. John Rothstein, I don't think has ever said that the Temple basketball staff thinks that they should move to the A10, but that's what he has suggested at nauseum. It gets exhausting. Any insight there? If true, I'm disappointed that one, they think it, and that's short-sighted, and two, they allow it to be reported. And then number the other question here from uh, the screen name is Al to the eighth degree, we call him. What's really going on with John Rothstein, and do you think our admins are seeing it at this point, and what do you make of Kevin Gandhi feeling like he needed to say something instead of just letting it go like you would 99% of the time? takes a lot to get Kevin Gandhi to come after you. I'll talk about that real quick. Kevin and I have been friends for more than 20 years. We were texting back and forth about this. I, you know, Kevin felt like engaging with them because, you know, he felt like engaging with them and felt like John was, was way off base. So Kevin is a pretty, you know, mild mannered guy, but I wouldn't say that uh, if Kevin gets involved, Ooh, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a super serious thing. I think Kevin feels the way that I feel, which is, um, you know, well, before we get to that, I'll say, you know, I don't think, you know, Jeff Goodman put a tweet out there saying that I think that the essentially saying, I think that the temple staff wanted this to happen. I, I've checked around on this and talked to people about this. I, I don't think that's the case. If John Rothstein got that impression, uh, he might be wrong. Uh, could there, and again, this is total, total, total speculation. Could there have been a time two or three years ago where someone had said to him, I don't know what's going to happen with the American and conference realignment, maybe, but um, I would not be surprised if they've reached out to him and said, look, dude, cut it out because this is, you know, they know, um, and Sam can vouch for this. And, you know, I, those guys know that they need to essentially try to aspire to be, and stay with me when I say this, like they need to aspire to be like a program like Gonzaga, not going to happen overnight, may never happen. You have to be the best team you can be in what could eventually be a two or three bid league. You know, once Cincy leaves, once Houston leaves, once UCF leaves, um, but they they know that going to the A10 doesn't make sense. And I don't think that anybody recently has been fueling uh, John Rothstein and saying, put that out there, put that out there. And um, But it's it's John, I can't say I've ever met the guy before. It's just him doing what he does best, which is just putting the same, you know, evergreen eight or nine or 10 tweets out there. And this just seems to, to be his thing. Um, yeah, going to the ATM would not make sense. I think we've talked about this on this pod before. There are no natural rivalries there. The only ones that you do have are ones that you have already through, through the big five, but, uh, I don't, I, I would get the sense, uh, and telling you guys that I think that everyone on the staff is, if they haven't reached out at some point, I wouldn't be surprised if they reached out and said, John, ain't, ain't, ain't happening, dude. It's, it's, it's kind of nauseating. It's, it's just, never met the guy sam this is for you he could be the nicest guy in the world i've never <laughs> i've never actually met john but it's 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 a dumb uninformed shtick at this point and i'll get out of the way and let you guys you know jump in on this if you have anything else to say i don't care about the temple thing like he can voice whatever opinion he wants to have about that i think it's stupid but he can do whatever he wants once you decide to become a character who thinks that he's bigger than the story where you're selling merchandise based upon the things that you tweet and you're taking limelight away from kids that have already announced their commitment and you're saying per sources this kid committed there yeah. you're you've made you've made your bed at this point i think he's kind of initially i thought he was kind of trolling the world to be honest i thought that he like realized that this is ridiculous and that's why he keeps saying these things in reality i don't think that he realizes that he's become the joke 
Um, don't have don't have much respect for people like that, to be to be quite frank. You say you want to fire him into the sun. What if Dante's he was back at, in? <laughs> what if he was what if he was at half court and there was a fire? <laughs> Which was our Javon. I don't were you on the pod when we had that mailbag question? It was somebody said it was just some crazy question. It was like if he was on fire at half court, would you save him? And I think I said yes. I, I don't think not, I was one for that episode. I'm not a not a terrible human being, but I don't there are know. too many have... people in this industry that have, have decided to make the story about them. Yeah. And he is one of those people. It's hard for me to, for, for people to come back from things like that. Hashtag you are not the story. Yeah, John Rothstein, uh, the baseball writers of America, and whoever the voter who said he won't give Aaron Rodgers an MVP vote. The guys like that. Just <laughs> It's not about you. Now, granted, yeah, Aaron Rodgers won't get my MVP vote, but still, like the reasons he has is just ridiculous. No. I'd say with Rothstein, look, I think right now and then especially when, you know, the Big 12 teams leave, yes, the A-10 better basketball conference than than the American. And I've got no gripe with saying that. I I mean, I look at Richmond, VCU, Davidson, the list goes on and on about how much better the A-10 is than the American at basketball, at least in my opinion. However, College sports have become so much about money. Temple makes what twelve million a year off of the ESPN TV deal. Uh, more like the American seven-ish, had. right? Seven, seven, seven or something. Yeah. It's supposed to go up to double digits uh, eventually, if I remember correctly. Still, you, you don't turn down that type of money to go to the A10 when you are a school that wants to take football seriously. So, what you're going to go independent? Yeah, how's that work for UMass and UConn? Mm-hmm. hasn't worked at all, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, maybe you can be Army, but no, you don't have the brand that Army does. So you're turning down money, you're abandoning football. It's just not how college sports works now. Rothstein is just, he's become like a robot who's just programmed to annoy the, the Philadelphia, you know, Temple fan base at this point. I don't have much nice to say about it. Uh, it, it if it could just stop, it'd be wonderful. But no, it just... Ethically, financially, none of it makes sense. And I would hope no one on the basketball staff is leaking anything to him or just asking him to push this agenda out. I don't, I would be, I've asked around on that. I do not right. think that's the case. Uh, just to circle back on this real quick again, the tweet that he had was making mention of the fact that the, that the Houston game was poorly attended. I'm not going to argue that in the interest of fairness, but it just, he used it as an opportunity to go in on his normal shtick and I'd be a hypocrite. Look, I mean that when they played, when they played UCF at home uh, before the, before the break, uh, that was one of the lightest attended temple games I've seen in a long time. So is attendance at a great spot? No, it absolutely isn't. You know, it's a combination of things. The students haven't been interested uh, for the Houston game. People were home. Uh, you're not going to, you're not going to get any argument from me that the game was was lightly attended to be kind but he just uses it as an opportunity to kind of just go in on the same thing on and on it's also it's, not you, like it's also not like temple's the only program in the country absolutely that with a covid surge in a city with a covid surge and all the students home for break didn't have anybody in the stands right 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 it's like it, you can't just keep blaming a school trying to give its football team some spotlight as the reason the basketball team isn't good like no we've got to be honest, Aaron McKee, we love the guy, but you've got to recruit better. You've got to coach better. You can't, you're going to put that on the football team. Mm-hmm. No, that's not how it works. So it, you, you just got to stop. And I mean, come on, me and Sam, we, 
basketball always comes first for us just as, you know, consumers of sports. But, like, you can't blame football here. It's just not how it works. So somewhere, just, somewhere, along, somewhere along the way, somebody convinced John Rothstein that you can't be good at football and at basketball, never mind the fact that Baylor exists. Like, you can be good at both. Michigan State, there are a ton, ton, of, ton of examples. Yeah. Michigan. Look, Michigan. Fi- final Rothstein question here. This one's going, uh, comes from the screen name, what, what to you. If you could tell John Rothstein to tweet out one thing about Temple, what would it be? That's a great question. <laughs> Due to that recent a... tweets, I have been banned from the city of Philadelphia where Temple resides. <laughs> if he could just tweet that out, that would be great. I actually don't know. I'm honestly, I'm close to just like muting him and moving on because he just fills me with Kyle's, quite Kyle's a bit mantra. M A M O, mute and move on. I'd, he fills me with I'd probably have him tweet, I love Kyle Gauss. Good. Come with follow like, me. It's like a little heart emoji. <laughs> Send that follow my way. Dante, Javon, anything <laughs> in a if you could tell John Rossi to tweet out one thing about Temple, any any wish list items there now? Uh, I think I've got eh, my my opinion on cheese steaks on Temple's campus is god awful. Maybe mm-hmm. was it Plaza? Or, he liked Plaza. It's something like that. Yeah, the now defunct Plaza Pizza, right? Yeah, Technically, Max's gone. is on the Health Science campus. That's where you should be going for cheese yeah. steaks. Yeah. Yeah, he said something I, about like Plaza Pizza having a great. I was like, uh, come on. I would I like him a- to tweet nothing about Temple. Uh, <laughs> that would be my wish: is that he just never tweets about Temple again. I am tired of talking about this. I'm tired of seeing it. It's ridiculous, and and I'm not even like directly involved in the discourse because I very much stick to my football slant as as much as possible. But even I am getting incredibly annoyed with this national writer's weird fixation on a mid-level basketball program yeah i'll make this like it's very odd it's such a weird slant why are you picking this hill of all the hills of college basketball to die on Mm -hmm. i don't understand uh next mailbag question here comes from the screen name fig one i'm certain our new president and athletic director are focused on fixing the football program right now but when when does that focus switch to basketball in other words is the coaching is the current coaching staff on the quote-unquote hot seat or do you think they still have rope extending to them I'll, I'm gonna, I'll say one thing and then i'll get out of the way and, and throw this over to you guys I, I i don't there's this perception sometimes i think yes they had to hire a new football coach but you know they don't i don't think they just say we're only focusing on football now we're not focusing on basketball but um i don't know is this staff on the hot seat i'll throw this over to you guys no i don't believe so yeah i, no, I think no, next sure. year is the make or break year for them mm-hmm. I would second. I mean, we really quickly, we talked about how like Rod Carey's third year was like kind of an inflection point for him. I think there was probably a similar conversation with, you know, with Aaron McKee and the Tone basketball program, Kyle mentioned it before they've seen improvement. They've dealt with COVID in a way that's not been horrible, horrible, horrible. So then moving in the right direction, I think is, is a good sign. I would be, there's no shot there on the hot seat. Next question here comes from the screen name TU 1834. I don't remember if it was in interviews with coaches or just from general talk on the podcast, but Sage Tolbert has been brought up as someone who could be our answer to what Houston does. I believe he's been compared to Gorham specifically. Now that we've seen him play against Houston, what is everyone's overall impression of him as a player? I'll hang up and listen, but my impression is that while I thought he played okay on Sunday, he hasn't lived up to expectations and has lost a starting spot, which is concerning. I'm going to read something to you. You tell me what you think it is. Uh, three points, 2.5 rebounds, uh, 34% from the field, uh, 36% from three. What is this Sage Tolbert's stat line? That's Justin Gorham's stat line from his first year at Houston. Like, oh. 
we're we're envisioning just by all means i don't think sage tolbert is justin gorham mm-hmm. but like we're we're remembering senior year justin gorham not junior year justin gorham who is doing exactly what sage tolbert's doing right now oh good that's pick all, out that's all i'll contribute to that nice job kyle sam, i don't think he's justin gorham sam you had you had something to say but looked like that 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 stumped you no i don't know that was good i don't have anything yeah. i think sage tolbert Justin gorham been... from where where is he from downingtown no, i have no idea <laughs> somebody on this somebody on this uh zoom right now should be excited about that he's from he's from baltimore he's a calvert hall kid oh well calvert hall i mean yeah it counts it i counts. mean he's from, <laughs> he's from yeah it counts yeah no um only thing i'd say about sage tolmer is he has to show that he was worthy of transferring up from southeast missouri that's it right now it doesn't look like it but like kyle said justin gorm wasn't great his first season at houston and Sage Tober hasn't been great his first season at Temple. But he is one of those guys who, after each game, we see him on the court putting in some extra work. So, you know, hopefully, it, you know, it, it pays out for him. And next season, you know, he becomes a very key contributor on the team. Yeah, Sage has been okay. I would I would agree that he hasn't totally lived up to expectations like 13 games into his Temple career. But his peak is as a really strong offensive rebounder and rim runner. Yeah. Uh, next question here from the, the screen name is Tiger Al. What has surprised you, good or bad, about hoop season this uh, about hoops this season so far? The way they've the way their offense has handled life without Caleb Battle. I ex- I think a lot of people expected them to just fall apart at the heels. Um, granted, they had two games in a row where they didn't score fifty points, but like put there's a difference in putting the ball in the hoop and creating those shot opportunities. There was a stretch where they just weren't hitting shots. I think the way their offenses responded to life without Caleb Battle uh, in terms of the flow of the offense and able to get looks, I think has been impressive. Yeah, I have to ask the question. Sam, was was Donahue right about the offense looking like it it flows more naturally without Caleb Battle? I think I, – I... I would agree that it flows more naturally, but it's different because when you have a player like of that caliber shooting 50 plus percent from three, like you that's something you want yeah. and they, they can rely on that. And that's something they, that, that that's a luxury. It's they have to have more flow when you're sharing the ball a lot more. Yeah. Hill battle was in the conversation for best guard in the city prior to getting injured. Yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, I think it's impressive that they've kind of kept the ship afloat since then, but like, no coach is going to be like, yeah, I'm glad I lost Caleb Battle. Right. Yeah. Kendrick, Kendrick Davis is the best, uh, best guard in the American right now. And Caleb Battle was scoring more points than him and arguably playing mm-hmm. as well, if not better than him. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few more questions to, to get through here. And again, we appreciate them all. A lot, a lot of questions to get through this week. Next one is from the screen name Malenko. I know the staff is still being announced, but are there any updates? And again, this is pertaining to football. Are there any updates around recruiting uh, comments on players? Temple has recently offered a guess uh, as to how many signed on uh, February 15th, any transfers coming in or leaving for the start of the semester. Um, I mean, we can tell you just, I mean, just recently as we sat down to, uh, record this Jacob Porter, a weak side defensive end out at uh, North Allegheny High School in Wexford, which is about 20 minutes outside of Pittsburgh. Temple just offered him not quite the not projected to be the the player that his father, Joey Porter, was or Joey Porter Jr., his brother at Penn State. Um, but Temple has offered him talked to, you know, got a got a scouting report from uh, from uh, a buddy of mine out in Pittsburgh who knows that area. And, you know, he said uh, he can develop into his his brother's an NFL prospect and plays a premium position. He can develop into that, but he isn't there yet and isn't the freak athlete that his brother is. Might explain why he's still out there and available, but 
It's a recent guy they have offered, you know, um, uh, they've had a few other guys that they've reached out to that are grad transfers. Um, we're trying to look into a couple of others. I mean, as to how many, how many guys they might bring in on, on the 15th, Kyle, I don't know. What are we thinking here? Maybe another six, seven guys, maybe. I think honestly, you're probably looking at closer to 10. Um, I think you're primarily, this is completely unsourced. This is me kind of guessing, to be honest. There's 10 open scholarships at this point uh, that includes like that doesn't include if Khalif Kemp signs, which Bella reported today that he's planning to. I don't know if, if Temple's planning on him signing is usually the other part of that equation. Um, but for all I know, he is. So let's just let's include those 10. I think you get closer to 10. I think it's going to be primarily high school kids. And I think if you're a new coach entering a situation like this, I tend to think that conservatively you might go, okay, well, let me see what I have first before going into the transfer portal. I don't know these kids yet. Let me see what we go through with spring. And then we can kind of bring in uh, during the summer to, to supplement. I think they're definitely going to try to bring in a quarterback, whether that's a transfer or uh, a high school kid. I think they want to bring a running back. And then you kind of just do best availables from there. So I would say yeah. probably closer to 10. Forgot about it. If you haven't checked out uh, Caden Steele's story on Elijah Warner, the son of Kurt Warner, who uh, has a movie that just dropped. Uh, Kurt Warner, not Elijah Warner. Um, so uh, again, I mean, there are some names out there. It'll be interesting to see how they they flesh out the rest of the rest of that class. Uh, a couple more to get through here. SoCal Al is the screen name on this one. Although early in the new administration, you get vibes about an on-campus stadium. Uh, no, not, not yet. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen, but you know, I don't, I think they got to take one step at a time here. Haven't heard anything definitive either way about an on-campus stadium. Uh, next question. Screen name is C Coyer. When do you think you might be able to get a Drayton interview on the podcast working on it? Probably will not happen until after Stan gets his, uh, his staff solidified and after signing day. So maybe hoping to get him on the pod, maybe mid to late February might be a possibility. Certainly would, would love to get him on as a guest. So we're working on it. Um, last question here we'll, we'll finish off with is uh, the screen name is Phi Cap Al uh, 3. Kind of in line with this, would love to hear your overall impression on the state of Temple Athletics as it relates to financial investments. With the women's volleyball hire, the highly experienced football staff hires and eating carries contract. It seems like we're really opening up the checkbook and investing in our athletics programs. Do you get the impression that that president Wingard is going quote unquote, all in on athletics? What do you guys think? Kyle? The first part of that is interesting to me. I, I Phi Capital is not the first person to mention this, but the hiring of Linda Hampton Keith to me doesn't mean anything about Temple's financial investment. She was out of a job. Like she was an unemployed um, coach who got a, got a head coaching job. I don't think they necessarily had to go outbid North Carolina state to, to get their former coach. Uh, I'm just, the realist in me is hard pressed to believe that the year that you're down on revenue from COVID and you just bought out four, five, $6 million in buyouts for coaching staff, that all of a sudden you're going to start splurging. I think some of these guys, they were probably able to get cheaper than you would have thought. Um, DJ Elliott, which did not have a job last year. So like you didn't have to necessarily pay him as much as you were paying Jeff Knowles. Um, I think all that being said, I think that this administration, this president, this athletic director are more focused on athletics than previous recent previous presidents. I would agree with that. I think they view it as the front door of the university. You have a good football program. You have a good basketball program. You get more eyes on it. People know more about Temple, et cetera, et cetera. So I would, I get the impression at the end that they are going all in on athletics. I don't think they all of a sudden increase the budget by 15 million this year. And that's why they're getting some of these guys. Anybody else want to chime in? I mean, yeah, I wouldn't say, you know, just a whole, just, you know, Temple's breaking the bank on athletics, but you look at, you know, colleges around the country now, it's like athletics are the, 
you know, just the focal point of schools now. It seems like the academics are coming second. I mean, Vanderbilt is pouring money into their athletic teams. It used to be just baseball and then everyone else can rot in the SEC. Now, no, football and basketball are getting attention from down there. So your Temple, you know, you've got to throw some money up there because that's really how you get a lot of people to go to Temple. Ooh, basketball, story program, football. Ooh, Matt Rule showed, Matt Rule, Al Golden, Jeff Collins, all those guys showed that football can be something up at Temple. Uh, women's basketball, starting with Don Staley, Tanya Cardoza's early years. Like, no, you've got to put some money into the program. So, and then you, you hired an athletic director that's coming from Texas and Georgia and a whole bunch of big time institutions. You've got to spend some money on athletics. You don't make that higher unless you're planning on it. So, uh, I mean, I think the checkbook has been opened, but like Kyle said, I don't think they're splurging on a whole bunch of people. And I do think more hires have been made on discount than we would initially think. Mm-hmm. I, I would, I don't know that I could say it much better than that. I think that there are, you know, previous presidents and uh, who might say, Hey, we're, you know, as long as our student athletes are great people doing as well as they can, we're happy with that. I think Jason Wingard wants to win. And I think Arthur, Arthur Johnson wants to win. I think Justin Miller and his staff have things in a, in a pretty good place. You typically hear a lot of good things about the Resnick center. They've brought in a couple of former players to help out, um, you know, whether that's a Javon fair or Shabazz Ahmed and, um, you know, I'm sure they could always do more, but they've done a lot to support their athletes with mental health resources and stuff like that and taking a global approach. But yeah, I, I agree with Kyle and I agree with Javon. I think that they, I think that they do want to win. I think the fact that they made a change at the volleyball coach might say a little bit more than who they hired in the past. That might've been like, you know what? And again, I'm putting words in someone's mouth here. As long as, long as they're 500 and respectable, they're good. The fact that they're like, no, we're going to make a switch there might show you that hey we we, we want to win so i think that might have changed a little bit i'm not saying that pat craft wasn't concerned about winning but i think that you know yes i think that this new president new athletic director absolutely want to win we're not looking at their you know copy of their budget report or anything like that but um yeah i think it's a fair question to ask so anyway we're going to wrap things up again appreciate the the all the mailbag questions we got uh, from all of you, appreciate you guys listening. If you haven't subscribed already, please do. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or all the major platforms. If you can subscribe, rate, and review us there, uh, that would be wonderful. Hope you all had a wonderful holiday. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more basketball, more football next week as the staff continues to round into form. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. 